Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. I am afraid this is a repeat of episode 44. The original episode 44 was deleted by yours truly when things got out of order. In an attempt to make things right, I managed to permanently delete them. So, if you already listened to episode 44, do not question yourself, have I heard this before? Because in that case, you have. My apologize for my ineptitude. Sailors who are in a calm prepare for storms. Would they say, if we never had calms, we could bear storms? But we have had calms. So many years or weeks together that this is grievous. In your calm, you are to prepare for storms. The storm will be less. You should reason quite contrary to what you do and say. Now I am in an afflicted condition, but, blessed be God, I was in a comfortable condition, and blessed be God that he was before with me in his mercy. This one consideration may help murmuring hearts. Do you murmur because once you were better? Know that God was before with you in mercy. And you should rather think thus. I have lived for these many years, perhaps 40 years or more. In a comfortable condition, I have lived in health and peace and plenty. What though the remaining part of my time should have some sorrow and affliction? The Lord has granted to me a comfortable sunshine all the day long towards evening. And what if at seven or eight o'clock at night it begins to rain? Let me thank God. I have had such fair weather all day. If you are on a voyage and you have a comfortable wind and very fair weather for many months together, what if you have a little storm when you are within sight of land? Will you murmur and repine? Oh, no. But you rather bless God that you have had such a comfortable voyage so long. Oh, this consideration would help us all. If God should now say, well, you will never see comfortable days again in outward things in this world. Then you have cause to fall down and bless God's name that you have had so many comfortable days. Now you reason quite contrary, whereas you should bless God that you have had so much comfort, you make what you have had before an aggravation of your afflictions now, and so murmur and are discontented. On what terms did you hold what God gave you before? Did you hold it so that you have in your papers to have and to hold forever? God gives no such thing. God gives to no man, I say, anything but grace to run upon that tenure. There is no such thing in all God's writings for any outward comforts as to have and to hold for you and your heirs. Indeed, grace 
he gives to yourselves to have and to hold forever, though not for everyone who comes out of your loins to have and to hold forever. But God does not give any outward thing upon such tenure as that. If God gives me an understanding of himself and faith and humility and love and patience and such graces of his spirit, he gives me them forever. If he gives me himself and his Christ and his promises and his covenant, he gives me them forever. Who am I, therefore? that the sun should always shine upon me, that I must have fair weather all my days. What God gives to me, he gave it as a pledge of his love. Let me return it to him as a pledge of my obedience. There is all the reason in the world for it. All that a godly man receives from God, he receives as a pledge of God's love to him. Therefore, when he comes into an afflicted condition, God says, Return to me as a pledge of your obedience, what you had from me as a pledge of my love. We should cheerfully come to God and bless God that we have anything to render to him as a pledge of our obedience and should say, Oh, it is your love, O Lord, which has given us everything. <clears throat> which enables us to render a pledge of our obedience to you. When God calls for your wealth or any comforts that you have, God calls for it as a pledge of your obedience to him. Roman numeral seven. Another reason of a murmuring heart is this. Oh, but after I have taken a great deal of pains for this comfort, yet then I am thwarted in it. To be thwarted now, after all the labor and pains I have taken, oh, this goes very hard. I answer, number one, the greater the cross, the more obedience and submission. Number two, when you took a great deal of pains, was it not with submission to God? Did you take pains with resolutions that you must have such a thing when you labored for it? Then know that you did not labor as a Christian. But if you labored and took pains, was it not with resignation to God? Lord, I am taking pains in my calling, but with submission I depend wholly upon you for success and a blessing. And what did you aim at in your labor? Was it not that you might walk with God in the place where God had set you? A Christian should do so in his outward calling. I am diligent in my outward calling, but it is so that I might obey God in it. It is true, I do it that I might provide for my family, but the chief thing that I aim at is that I might yield obedience to God in the way where God has set me. Now, if God calls you to another condition to obey him in, though it is by suffering, you will do it if your heart is right. 
Number three, there will be more testimony of your love to God. If so be that you now yield up yourself to God in what cost you dear. Shall I offer that to God, said David, that cost me nothing? Your outward comforts have cost you much, and you have taken great pains to obtain them. And now, if you can submit to God in the want of them, in this, I say, your love is the more shown that you can offer to God what costs you dear. Roman numeral eight. Now, these are the principal reasonings of a discontented heart. But there is one more plea that may be named. Some say, though I confess that my affliction is somewhat hard and I feel some trouble within me, yet I thank God I do not break out in discontented ways to the dishonor of God. I keep it in, although I have much ado within my own heart. Oh, do not satisfy yourselves with that, for the disorders of your hearts and their sinful workings are as words before God. My soul, be silent to God. We spoke of that in the beginning of the expounding of this scripture. It is not enough for your tongue to be silent, but your soul must be silent. There may be a sullen discontentedness of heart, as well as a discontentedness manifested in words. And if you do not mortify that inward sullenness, when you are afflicted a little more, it will break forth at last. And thus the Lord, I hope, has met with the chief reasonings and pleas for our discontent in our conditions. I beseech you, in the name of God, consider these things And because they concern your own hearts, you may so much the better remember them. I had thought to have made a little beginning to the next head, which is some way of helping you to this grace of contentment. It is a most excellent grace of admirable use, as you have heard. And the contrary is very sinful and vile. Chapter 12, How to Attain Contentment. Now we are coming to the close of this point of contentment, which Jesus Christ teaches those who are in his school. We have opened the point to you and showed you wherein the art and skill and mystery of Christian contentment lies and many things in the way of application, rebuking, the want of it. In the last chapter, I finished that point of showing the various reasonings of a murmuring and discontented heart. I shall now, being desirous to make an end, leave what was said and proceed to what remains. There are only these two things for working your hearts to this grace of Christian contentment. Number one, to propound several considerations for contenting the heart in any afflicted condition. Number two, to propound directions 
what should be done for working our hearts to this. Roman numeral one, considerations to content the heart in any afflicted condition. Number one, we should consider in all our wants and inclinations to discontent, the greatness of the mercies that we have and the meanness of the things that we lack. The things we lack, if we are godly, are things of very small moment in comparison to the things we have. And the things we have are things of very great moment. For the most part, the things for the want of which people are discontented and murmur are such things as reprobates have or may have. Why should you be troubled so much for the want of something which a man or woman may have and yet be a reprobate, as that your wealth is not so great, your health not so perfect, your credit not so much. You may have all those things and still be a reprobate. Now will you be discontented for what a reprobate may have? I will give you the example of a couple of godly men meeting together, Anthony and Didymus. Didymus was blind and yet a man of very excellent gifts and graces. Anthony asked him if he was not troubled at his want of sight. He confessed he was. But he said, should you be troubled at the want of what flies and dogs have, and not rather rejoice and be thankful that you have what angels have? God has given you those good things that make angels glorious is not that enough for you, though you lack what a fly has? And so a Christian should reason the case with himself. What am I discontented for? I am discontented for want of what a dog may have, what a devil may have, what a reprobate may have. Shall I be discontented for not having that when God has given me what makes angels glorious? Blessed be God, says the Apostle, in Ephesians 1.3, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It may be you have not such great blessings in earthly places as some others have, but if the Lord has blessed you in heavenly places, that should content you. There are blessings in heaven, and he has set you here for the present as it were, in heaven, in a heavenly place. The consideration of the greatness of the mercies that we have and the littleness of the things that God has denied us is a very powerful consideration to work this grace of contentment. This concludes the new episode 44 of Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment.